0: Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios.
3: And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Looking in the mirror this morning, grooming myself and thinking, eh, maybe it's time for another haircut. You know, it's uh, getting past that stage where you kind of feeling a little raggedy. So I yelled down the stairs, honey, you know, hey, uh, in your free time, can you give me a haircut?
4: Your and wife. Your wife. Your wife, who's been waiting on you hand and foot since you had shoulder replacement surgery, Mm -hmm. giving you your medication, making your food, Mm -hmm. grocery shopping, and even getting you five guys the other night, you're Mm -hmm. now saying, hey, would you please think about cutting my hair?
3: Yeah. She laughed and she yelled back up the steps. Yeah, sure. When I've got some free time, which eventually she'll find her way to doing it because, Mm -hmm. you know, throughout the pandemic, she has been cutting my hair. I think a lot of people have been cutting their hair at home. I mean, I I haven't cut my hair at all. My wife has. You tried it once, Kath.
4: No, I didn't even try it. Are you kidding me?
3: I thought you tried Do it. Do you
4: know my track record? I should not be allowed anywhere close to a scissor a pair of scissors with my hair. Absolutely mm. not. I have no skills in that area.
3: I thought for sure you were like, you know, well, maybe you were just contemplating. I
4: was contemplating it because okay. of my desperation, because I looked like Steven Tyler. Right.
3: <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Seriously. No, it was. No, no. Okay, so uh, everyone's doing, you know, the their personal grooming. A lot of people have been for themselves. Now Comes word of personal home dentistry. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
4: No. Wait, I'm just gonna guess and say that this isn't gonna end well.
3: Well let me yeah, you be the judge of this here. Okay, so mm-hmm. I do not I have never in my life uh opened up TikTok. Have you?
4: Uh only I've seen it on my children's phones. I right. have I do not own I do not have not downloaded TikTok to my own.
3: Neither have I. Now, okay, so there are these media influencers, which are essentially young kids with, you know, hundreds of like thousands, that. if not what millions kind, of followers. I, when did
4: that become a job? Media
3: influencers. It. Okay, so here's a media influencer. this young woman. Her name is Mia Dio. Okay. 19 years old. Mm-hmm. She goes on TikTok and she pulls out a hot pink nail file and she decides to file down her two front teeth.
4: (gasps) Wait a minute, wait a minute. Why? why?
3: Well, she said for years she was unhappy with, she thought that they were slightly crooked. And she thought, well, you know, during COVID, you know, I'm just going to do a little something myself.
4: Wait, there's a pandemic, so I filed my teeth? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, is she filing the bottom like they're too long or is she filing the front?
3: She's filing, uh, yeah, the, the bottoms of the, you know, the top and the bottom together.
4: Like the, the, right. The top and bo- what? Yeah, right. Like the, like where you're biting.
3: Uh-huh. Cause oh. there's something out. There's a little, anyway, she posts this thing to TikTok immediately. Hundreds of thousands of hits. It goes, you know, around the world, millions of hits later, all these little coconut kids are trying this.
4: Wait, why are they? Why?
3: Because people are obsessed with their, Lord, what do you, if you're on TikTok, you're probably sitting around looking at yourself all day in the mirror or on video. So people get, my teeth are a little crooked. I'm a little, so every, all of a sudden is filing their teeth. Dentists hop on TikTok and say, listen, everybody. <laughs> You're on my last nerves. Do not be doing this. I'm telling you, your teeth are sensitive. You can inflict long-term damage to your teeth. And when you drink something cold now, don't come crying to me like a two-year-old because this is part of the damage. Anyway, it goes on. People are now doing home dentistry.
4: No, I can't. I'm can't. i speechless. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I feel like things have run amok.
3: Well, I, Listen, dentists are open, are they not?
4: Yes, dentists yeah, are I've been open. To the dentist. Who's working on their own teeth? Uh, you
3: know, and do we are- not
4: trust professionals for anything? Have we have we doubted our institutions to the How- point where we don't even go somewhere? We do our own tooth work,
3: right? With a hot pink nail file. I mean,
4: what in the okay.
3: world? How many years do you think it takes to go through dental school? Is that three years? It's a journey.
4: I think it's four years. I think okay. it's like med school.
3: Yeah,
4: because so you're, you're, you're a doctor that. of dentistry at the end.
3: Mm-hmm. So, so for I cosmetic dentistry, work. you think this is the new vogue that all of a sudden now your your cosmetic dentist will have to have a hot okay. So the people,
4: okay, so the people who are filing their teeth on TikTok, okay, yep. are the same people who get on Facebook and act like they're epidemiologists. Right, right. Because they look at people who are dentists and doctors and think, well, they don't know anything. Mm -hmm. Like the four years they've invested in their area Mm -hmm. of study was basically just killing time. Yeah,
3: just hanging out. Okay, listen, listen, we talked about this briefly, I think off air, you have to watch the social dilemma.
4: Oh yeah. So I'm going to watch that. We have, we're actually going to uh, discuss it next on next week's show.
3: Please do. I mean, I've seen it once. I need to go back and look at it again. It is an indictment essentially of social media and where we are today around the world. It's not good for us. And if, if you have any it's doubt not about for our that,
4: teeth. I think we've got no, this morning, this right? morning, this afternoon, what time of day
5: is it?
3: <laughs> it's a little after four o'clock. It's been, it's the show airs stressful. four to six, <laughs> four to six. We air here. <laughs> On 101.5 Word FM, I want to welcome you, calf as my co-host for these past decade and plus to the show.
4: Sorry. Sorry. Oh, gosh. Right. Mike, Mike, were you holding up fingers for a reason? Uh, four years. Four years for
3: dentistry. dentistry. Yeah, in dentistry. Thank okay. you. I appreciate it. I thought it. you were filing down four teeth.
4: <laughs> oh, no. Absolutely <laughs> oh, What the not. heck's
3: Mike doing? He's dissatisfied
4: a- with four of his teeth. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Like a little pumpkin seed stuck back in there, right. and all of a sudden he starts filing away. There it goes.
4: That's mm-hmm. ridiculous. So are people going to start like at-home podiatry? <laughs> right. Is that what's what? next? Right.
3: Like, right.
4: Like gallbladder surgery,
3: do it yourself. Yeah, sure. I got you know, I get a little uh, letter opener and some needle. <laughs>
4: how? I, I mean, how needle. hard can it be?
3: No, it's fine.
4: My doctor's an idiot. They say so. Yeah. You know, why not just go in on my own?
3: I mean, t- I feel good about myself because I had a shoulder replacement, but I let a professional do it because I mean. <laughs> Uh, you know, the wire coat hanger
4: It was just an, an awkward angle for you. <laughs> right.
3: Pop it against there. <laughs> anyway, so we got a big show for you today. Do we not?
4: We sure do. Uh, in the on-deck circle. And am I right in saying, John, that the Pirates are in the middle of their last home game of the season?
3: Yep, Season ends mercifully Sunday.
4: Okay. Okay. But here, they are horrible. So last I heard, which was about 30 minutes ago, uh, the Pirates were up 6 nothing in, the, Good. I believe, the bottom of the fifth. God bless them. Here's the thing. We are perilously close. We're only two games behind the Rangers mm-hmm. for the worst record of baseball. Good. So we can't be winning games at this point, or we're going to lose the first pick in the draft.
3: Does it matter if they got the first pick Of course pick in the it dra- matters. No. If, because if they got the first pick in the draft, two or three or five or 10 years down the line, they trade the guy. So it doesn't really matter.
4: Well, aren't you a Debbie Downer?
3: That's just all I'm saying. Been right. there, done that.
4: All right. Speaking of on deck circle, well, it was yep. rough jerry boyer with us uh he has got a brand new work out called the maker versus the takers what jesus really said about social justice and economics he's done a deep dive into this jerry's one of us our most popular guests and a great friend of ours so stay close it is the thursday edition of the ride home we're glad you're here don't do your own tooth work just say no
6: One point five W O R D, the station with Pittsburgh's favorite Christian music every weekend. With the best new music, new
7: music,
2: new music music from Josh Baldwin, Evidence. Start right here from Casting Crowns. It's gotta
8: start right here.
2: And truth be told, by Matthew West. So let the
9: truth
6: the best new music and Pittsburgh's favorites.
2: Brought to you by Trinity Jewelers and Dennis Spira and Associates.
6: 101.5 WORD On the weekend.
1: These are tough times for everyone, so dealing with your timeshare may not be your biggest concern, but when this passes, do you still want a lifetime of payments, fees and commitments for a timeshare you were misled into buying?
10: Hi, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started the timeshare cancellation industry by exposing the ugly truth about timeshares and giving folks the straight facts. I've been fighting the timeshare giants ever since, so no one knows this industry better than me and my team. Today, we have over 200 employees and have saved our clients an average of $65,000 in lifetime payments. Imagine putting those timeshare dollars back in your pocket. Give my office a call today. I guarantee if we take you as a client, we will cancel your timeshare contract or you'll pay nothing.
1: Call Wesley Financial now for your free information kit. 800-881-4242. That's 800-881-4242. 800-881-4242. Hey,
2: here's a common question. What are you going to do with your life? What's next? For high school students, graduates, and working adults ready to learn new skills to start a new career or enhance their career, there's Salem Career Hub. Online at SalemCareerHub.com. Prepare for the next step in your education. Get connected with top-ranked online schools and leading skills-based short-term training programs like full-stack software development from the co-founder of Apple, Steve Wozniak, to online XR programs, teaching hands-on vocational courses for HVAC, welding, plumbing, facilities management, electricians, solar, and more, all at a special reduced Salem Career Hub price. Better your life through education. Our team of education professionals are available to help you Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Central Time. Just call 866-711-6275 866-711-6275 Or visit 24-7 SalemCareerHub.com
8: Wake up and text Text and eat mm-hmm. Text and meet up with a friend You haven't seen in forever
7: Hi Oh
11: hey
8: Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time Ugh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time uh. Text and whatever But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.
3: Well, it seems as though we are increasingly very quick to slap labels on people Mm -hmm. and institutions. Jerry Boyer is with us. Jerry's been a regular guest on our show for years. He's got a brand new book out called "The Maker versus the Taker: What Jesus Really Said About Social Justice and Economics." Jerry, welcome. I guess that you know the big label people think that Jesus was a socialist.
12: Yeah, some people do, um, uh, and then some other people um, kind of push back about against that um, because Jesus kind of does sound a little bit like a socialist and then so then they kind of what they try to do is they try to turn down the Jesus message a little bit so Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven doesn't say to enter heaven it says enter the kingdom of heaven it's usually misquoted and that sounds a little socialist and then other people who are conservative say well look I know socialism um, is a bad thing and it does bad things Jesus can't really mean that so he's probably just talking about the guy's heart or, you know, maybe this is about the second coming or we take the Jesus economic message, which some people have turned to quarter volume where he sounds a little bit socialist. And then we like grab for the, you know, grab for the, the, the knob and say, oh, no, 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 Jesus can't really mean what he's saying. Right. And what, what I'm saying to both sides is, listen, let Jesus be whatever Jesus is, Right. Your job isn't to tell him what he is. Your job is to let him tell you. So you turn that that um, that sound all the way up, and you listen carefully, and a picture emerges, which is certainly not Jesus as a socialist. Um, and it is, but it's also not a Jesus who is unconcerned. So double negative. Sorry if that's confusing. It shows a Jesus who actually is concerned with social justice. He's he is concerned with the exploitation of the poor and the middle class but he is not doing it from a revolutionary socialist point of view. So we're really, in in our world, you've got a lot of young millennial Christians who embrace the the socialist Jesus, and you've got a lot of boomer conservatives who are like, Jesus is just talking about heaven. It's just about salvation. It's not about anything else. He doesn't care about society, um, when in fact, I think if you read the Gospels carefully, you find out that he is certainly concerned about heaven, Uh, And he's concerned about hell, and he's also concerned about turning, you know, bringing heaven and hell to earth, creating hell on earth by trying to create heaven on earth. That he cares about our souls, and that he also cares about every aspect of our lives, including economics, and says quite a bit about it.
13: Mm.
4: Jerry, this is a problem that we all have right now: is that we have a tendency to fall either off the left side of a wagon or off the right side of a wagon, and it's very hard to just keep your head about you and discover some facts. And I believe that's what you're trying to do in the book. You say you've written the book for people who want to get unstuck. Um, Unstuck from what?
12: Unstuck from the problem that you just talked about. Unstuck from the turn Jesus up to quarter volume just enough that he sounds like Fidel Castro, if you're not really listening carefully. Or, oh, no, 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 I don't want to hear about that. Don't say social justice. Don't talk about economics. Jesus just cares about your soul and the second coming. Um, Between... Um, a social gospel uh, on the one hand, and a world fleeing form of fundamentalism, which does not try to influence mm-hmm. the culture at all. And despite being, you know, technic you know, uh, these folks, despite saying that they are, you know, all founded on the word and stand on the word. They're not reading the word carefully enough to see that Jesus is actually talking about economics and other social justice issues a lot. We're afraid that if we let Jesus talk about economics and politics, if we let that in, that it's going to, it's going to lead us to socialism. And I think that's a risk you have to take. Anything with Jesus, sure. you let him sure. lead now he didn 't yeah. lead me to socialism, um, but I let him lead. you go you tell you, you, you tell me what you 're saying about economics. I will listen to the best of my ability and i 'll do all the work that it takes that i that I can do with the original languages and the archaeology and then, and then you lead jesus and he He led me to a point of view which I think is a different conversation. I think Jesus is having a different conversation about wealth and poverty in the 1st century than his people are having now in the 21st mm, century.
4: Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Oh, that that's really that's a fascinating point. Okay, so um I guess let's talk about what conversation we're having now. Uh that you think we're having now and then let's contrast it to the conversation you think Jesus is having.
12: I think we're having a, a, a conversation. One is we're having a conversation in the church about wealth, good or bad. Mm,
4: um, wealth, good or bad. And,
12: Got it. Right, wealth, good or bad. Um, and you have these polls, um, and one um, is centered around the you know the prosperity gospel, um, which is largely something that people who don't agree with it call it right. So, so then anything. Now, now, there are definitely people out there who are, who are engaged in false teaching, um, which is that God wants you to be prosperous, and the way that you become prosperous is by giving to my ministry. Um, you know, that's clearly corrupt, um, and Jesus is very hard on people like that in the Gospels. You know, we look at the story of the um, of the widow's mite and say, oh, what a nice story about how, how generous she was. Well, it is a nice story about how generous she was. But right after that, he's angry. He storms out of the temple and says this is going to be destroyed uh, and calls them devourers of widows' houses. It's not a sentimental story. Um, it's, a, it's partly it, – it, it lauds her because she's being generous, but it is an, an assault – on the people who manipulated her into thinking she's supposed to give her last penny away. So the social gospel types do not survive Jesus. They, they wither in front of Jesus' um, uh, critique. But then there's another side which kind of says um, wealth is bad. Um, tends to be upper middle class people who talk this way. You know, they go to college and they learn it, they go to expensive colleges and they learn about how bad wealth is. Um, and you know they're on the other side of that. So we have a wealth, good, wealth, bad conversation. Jesus doesn't seem to be having that conversation at all. Um, and if we if we pay close attention, what we see is that every time he has a confrontation with a wealthy person over the topic of wealth, Every single time that he, they are geographically near Judea, Jerusalem, in other words, they're near the center of political power, and they are also socially, part of the ruling class, politically connected, um, you know, part, member, people in a position to use their political power to extract wealth from people. He doesn't have any confrontations like that in Galilee. Galilee had rich people, but they were rich traders. They were rich merchants. They were rich investors. They weren't rich politicians. What you have when he goes down and meets the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus the tax collector, and then, the, then has his confrontation with the, with the um, temple elite, and all of these confrontations are about pe- people who were politically, religiously connected. So it is the people who take wealth who use their power to extract and extort – defraud is the word Jesus used, apathurio – to extort wealth from people, those are the ones who get the tongue lashing. The people who are creators of wealth, they don't. Some of them were close friends of Jesus. So like the entrepreneurial Joseph of Arimathea, he's wealthy, he's Jesus' friend. Jesus doesn't say, take everything you own and sell it and give to the poor. But he does say that to the senator, the Sanhedrin member, the rich young ruler who has been defrauding people. So it matters where the wealth comes from. Is it made, mm-hmm. is it produced, or is it taken? That's, that's the dividing line.
3: Jerry Boyer is with us. His brand new work is called The Maker versus the takers what jesus really said about social justice and economics so jerry with that thought in mind that you just expressed when you look back at the beginning of the 20th century you know with the robber barons of course andrew carnegie and the rockefellers and whatnot and then you fast forward to the 21st century with bill gates and mark zuckerberg and such would jesus be calling them out because clearly they were making things but they were also taking a lot from those makers as well
12: well i I don't know what jesus would be doing i'm i am i am trying to I try to avoid that a little bit because i'm I'm still trying to figure out what Jesus was doing when I have the text so right. let me just i'll lay so this is not me saying bad question but this is me saying i'll lay out what I think might contribute to an answer um but you know i think we have to kind of get i i'm not ready i'm not that ready for that level of application yet i think we have to have a shift in thinking and then we start then you know applying it okay. um so uh, and and let's so let's talk about a bill gates um someone i did another interview about this and someone said that he heard a sermon once about uh, you know uh, jesus and the rich young ruler um and he said this would be like jesus running into bill gates and telling him he has to give it you know this because he's young and he's rich sure. um and i said no no, 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 it isn't. And that's the problem. It's not like a Bill Gates. Jesus had people like you know, his version of Bill Gates up there, people who figured out new ways to make stoneware and had a nice industry that they were exporting. He had people who were getting better not just at fishing, but at make, making fishing hooks and exporting them around the empire. Um, there, there were entrepreneurial innovation types in, in Jesus' neighborhood. This was a senator this was a member of the Sanhedrin. So um, now, some of these people that we've talked about who have become wealthy have done it because they've created new things. They've created. They've had ideas, um, and ideas that are so good, we're willing to pay them for these ideas. Some of these people did it through fraud. Some of these people did it through pool. In other words, like, you know, you have a tech company and then you use government regulators to stop other tech companies from competing with your tech companies. See, that's really different. That's that would be, I think, the money changers. They had a government granted monopoly, right? That's really different than somebody who just has a better product. Like if there's a more honest, there would there would have been other money changers all around the place. there are different currencies in use. People would change. Money all the time. Where is Jesus whipping the money changers in Galilee? He lived just outside Sepphoris. It was a banking center. There would have been currency exchanges all the time. Where is Jesus getting? You know, being consumed with anger with anger about that? He's not. He's consumed with anger from the money changers at the temple because it's a rip-off done allegedly you know, with God's approval and with government power. They had a 100% write-up that was guaranteed to them because the government set the price, it set the taxes, it set the exchange rate, so the, so the people were being ripped off and they were devouring widows' houses. So somebody who makes software that's useful to us is different than, say, somebody who makes software that steals from us. The money changers were stealing. That's why Jesus called it a robber's den, because they were stealing. It's not a metaphor. They were engaged in theft. Now, every big business has a little has a mix. Mm-hmm. Every company, you know, Bill Gates, Microsoft, a lot of innovation, but did he use lobbyists? Oh, sure, he did. You know, did he sometimes, you know, maybe cut some corners or do some things? Uh, sure. sure. We're all like that. I do, too. Every, every, you, me, everybody in our business practices, sometimes we're not at our best. I think the question I just want to establish is the way that you make your living in the world fundamentally – Producing things and serving other people with it, or is it from fundamentally using power to force productive people to give to you? Mm-hmm. That's the moral distinction. Now, how tolerant we are when we fall short of the perfection of being producers. That's that one's too too hard for me to answer. Mm-hmm.
4: Jerry Boyer's with us. Jerry has a new workout called "The Maker versus the Takers." What Jesus really said about social justice and economics. We need to take a break. When we come back, Jerry, let's talk about something. Um, I guess I hadn't thought of until you started bringing it up six eight months ago. Is why don't I pay attention to place names in the Bible, actual geography? Well, that has to do with economics. That's what Jerry says. So we'll talk about it next on the ride home. Hey pastors, how
8: are you reaching your community? Here's John MacArthur
4: from Grace
3: to You. I don't need to recreate the truth. I don't need to innovate anything. I need to follow the example of those who have gone before and have been profoundly blessed
8: by God. Pastor, don't miss encouragement like that from John MacArthur. Join us for a series of virtual pastor appreciation events. You'll also hear from Alan Jackson of World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, speaking about the pandemic.
2: Christ in you enables you to be more than a conqueror. We're going to face challenges and difficulties. We're going to come through this season. We'll do better than that. We will flourish.
8: The virtual Pastors Appreciation Event. Five different 90-minute sessions free each Thursday in October with 10 speakers and musical guests. Be encouraged, equipped, and edified.
1: Presented by Trinity Jewelers. Sponsored in part by RPTS and Geneva College. Register now at WordFM.com.
8: Hi, this is Robert Jeffers, pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas and Bible teacher on Pathway to Victory. Let me encourage you to be in prayer about the upcoming election. Then make sure you prepare. Educate yourself on the agendas of the two parties and make sure you're registered. Finally, make your plan to vote, whether at the voting booth, by absentee, or vote by mail. Your voice is your vote. Your voice needs to be heard on November 3rd.
4: I consider not only my team members, but my patients, my family, and I miss them for quite a few months.
1: Stock Family Dentistry would like to say... Welcome back.
4: One of the biggest blessings I have received is to be able to use my talents and my passion to serve my community through our dental office. And I'm proud to say that we're doing it in a very safe
5: way. We're finally back up to full speed. It's nice to be back with family.
1: On Perry Highway in Wexford at StockFamilyDentistry.com.
5: Some of the best
6: sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective,
14: and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. Save up to $800 right now at Mattress Warehouse. For a limited time, get free delivery and set up on all orders over four ninety nine. dollars Visit sleephappens.com for a location near you and to learn about their clean shop promise. Only at Mattress Warehouse. Sleephappens.com.
4: This is Kathy Emmons. John and I are grateful for the encouragement we have from all of our advertisers, and especially our friends at Grove City College. Thanks to everyone at Grove City for supporting The Ride Home. Listen on your smart speaker,
6: the Word FM app, at wordfm.com, iHeart, in and on radio.com, in the car or at home, too, at 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh.
10: Tonight we'll see partly cloudy skies, expect a low of 54. It'll be nice tomorrow with clouds and sunshine, tomorrow's high 79. Mainly clear skies tomorrow night with a low of 56. Saturday we'll see clouds and sunshine with a high of 79. Sunday will be warm, temperatures approaching near record highs, increasing cloudiness and a high of 81. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon.
3: We are speaking with Jerry Boyer. Jerry's a financial economist, a public speaker for business conferences, a frequent radio guest, especially on our show as well. He's got a brand new book out called The Maker versus the Takers What Jesus Really Said About Social Justice and Economics.
4: Jerry, I don't know. It was some number of months ago we were talking about issues related to this. And um, I brought up a scripture passage and you said, So where does that happen? And I said, What do you mean, where does it happen? You said, well, where does it happen? And I realized, as I fortunately had the Bible open in front of me, I was able to look down and figure out where it – but I had not considered where it was going on. And you said that that's a common problem people have when they read the Bible. They don't pay attention to what's happening. Why is that important? Or where it's happening. Why is that important?
12: Well, it's important because it's in the Bible. Um, I mean, that's, I'm mean, going to put it this way. That's how I know it's important. So why is it important? Well, it's important for lots of reasons. Um, I think we have an inherent sense of that, that if I'm telling you a story about an encounter I have with somebody in which I'm talking about, you know, say money and their economy and their job, it probably does matter if the, if I'm, if I'm in Moscow or if I'm in Washington, DC, or if I'm in Pittsburgh, or would that matter? You know, am I in McKeesport or am I in Swickley? Um, those you're going to have a different picture. The story is going to read differently because of the context. Good novels have those details. They don't tell us so-and-so is rich. They just tell us neighborhood, clothes, whatever. This mm-hmm. is... We pick that up in literature that we read, or we pick it up in a news story. We don't pick it up in the Gospels because that's their world. That's the world of the first century, and we don't have the same associations, you know, the steel with Pittsburgh, um, finance with New York, and some media with New York, Hollywood, et cetera. We don't have those same associations. Um, So it's hard work, um, and hard work doesn't get done easily, so we don't do it. Uh, You know, uh, pastors don't necessarily have the time um, to do all that hard work and dig up the geography, and chances are when they went to seminary, say, 20 or 30 years ago, um, we didn't know a lot about these cities because there hadn't been a lot of biblical archaeology, so their teachers didn't tell them. Well, now we know loads and loads about it. We dug up a lot of Calais. We know more about these places. You know, I know someone who runs a center in, in Magdala. We, we know about Mary of Magdala. We know what kind of people they were, what they did for a living, and whether they were wealthy or not. Uh, innovation, farming, industrial farming, and yes, wealthy. So... When we read these stories, if we don't get that and we don't understand the occupations, it's like reading a novel from 2,000 years ago where, or, or someone reading a story from us 2,000 years from now, not knowing the difference between New York and Pittsburgh, um, not knowing Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, just having no idea what the associations of those places are, which means they really wouldn't understand our novels very well at all.
3: Right. Okay, so, Chair, then people read the Bible, of course, to draw closer to God, but you're saying in, in the maker versus the taker that we can read the Bible and draw closer to God through economics. Can you break that down?
12: Yes. In fact, I think through economics is um, a primary way that we draw closer to God, um, because it's in many ways what we do most of the time, Most most of our time is spent— working, um, and, you know, creating wealth, and then we exchange that wealth and consume it. That's what's happening most of the time. We spend some time in worship. We spend some time doing other things, but, you know, full-time job, that's 40 hours a week where you're earning. So that's not a side part of your life. So why in the world would we think that that isn't a really important part of um, you know, coming closer to God? The other thing is the first thing we see God doing in the Bible is making and then we 're told, after a lot of making, working and making that 's how it 's described and creating so there 's three words right you know so after he had finished his melecto, his work, uh, everything which he had uh, saw, which he had done right so God works, makes, does, and then he creates these beings that are in his image and in his likeness, which means they 're like him, and up until then, what we 've seen him doing is working and making. So that indicates to me that if you're just reading the gospel naturally, rather than bringing your theological system or our own dysfunctional relationships with money or our frustration with past church conversations about money, about fundraising, if we just read the text the way it reads, it sure looks like to, to me like God is making makers. He does a lot of making, and then he says, I'm going to create beings who are like me. And then he tells them to go make things. So that's not, uh, that's not a side part. That's not, it's not like the two hours in church is like that's everything, and then the 40 or 50 hours of work is, well, you have to do something to have something to put in the collection plate, I guess. Um, that's really important as to who we are and what it means to be in the image of God. And that's why I think Jesus, God incarnate, himself was put into a maker culture. Galilee was a maker culture small industry, farming, entrepreneurial. It wasn't a taker culture. He could have put him in the palace. That's what everyone thought. The wise men from the east said, "It looks like he is to be born king of the Jews." is come, let's go to Jerusalem because that's where he would be, right? No, he's at the edge and he's in an entrepreneurial province and an entrepreneurial culture, being brought up in an entrepreneurial household, uh, somebody who makes a builder. He Jesus was given to a foster father as foster father was a builder why because his real father was a builder and so his real father gave him a foster father joseph who was in that who had that commonality
14: mm.
4: Boy, that's fascinating, uh, Jerry Boyer's with us. The new book, "The Maker versus the Takers: What Jesus Really Said About Social Justice and Economics." Jerry, when we come back, um, let's talk about not just paying attention to geography when we read the scriptures, but paying attention to occupation. What that can tell us about an orientation in the world and how Jesus Himself saw things. That's next. All right home.
6: 1.5 W-O-R-D.
2: You're listening now, so we know you're a fan of the radio station. I am a big fan. And we want you to know that we appreciate you. I'm your number one fan! That's why we've developed the Word FM Fan Club. It's free to join, and once you do, you can take part in exclusive surveys and contests. Yeah, I love contests. Special offers. Great giveaways. Discounts. Freebies.
3: I'd like to win one of these contests.
2: Become a member today. Go to wordfm.com/fanclub and sign up. We're big fans.
1: Drusky Entertainment proudly presents Skillet in concert, October 3rd. p.m. at the Starlight Drive-In Butler, PA with special guest Colton Dixon. Drive-In tickets available now at druskeyent.com Gates open at 5.30, rain or shine Skillet, October 3rd at the Starlight Drive-In Butler, PA Visit Drusky Entertainment for details at druskeyent.com
14: Tonight, the U.N. is warning that the pandemic is putting the world at risk of widespread famines of biblical proportions.
0: Even as we here in the U.S. continue to struggle with the coronavirus, in poor countries like Haiti and Guatemala, COVID-19 is also creating a food crisis, which is leading to starvation. Ángela Loma is with Food for the Poor.
13: Almost every single one of our partners said that food is the greatest need right now.
0: But the church is rising to meet this need.
15: The thought of any child going without food just breaks my heart. You know, God has blessed us all beyond what we can imagine. we got to do what we can to help especially kids that don't have anything to eat.
0: Join 101.5, Word FM, and Food for the Poor in rescuing children. Just $37 provides six months of life-saving food for one child. How many children can you save? From your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say the keyword, hope. Dial pound 250 from your cell and say, hope. Or click the red emergency food banner at FM.
1: Join Pittsburgh Theological Seminary online each Wednesday in October at 7.30 p.m. for the combined McClure Lectures and World Mission Initiatives Month of Mission series titled Jesus Christ and the Dividing Wall, Race and God's Mission. You'll hear keynotes from the Rev. Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil, the Rev. Jonathan Wilson-Hartgrove, and Dr. David Kant. The event is free to all who register. Learn more at pts.edu.
3: Jerry Boyer has a brand new book out called "The Maker Versus the Takers: What Jesus Really Said About Social Justice and Economics."
4: So, I want to talk in just a little bit, Jerry, about whether it's unspiritual uh, to talk about economics or to or to think about economics when it comes to the Bible. But leading up to that. Um, earlier you mentioned how important it is to know where Jesus was saying what he was saying. Just like, I think you make a good point that if you're saying something, it's important to know whether you're saying it from McKee's rocks or you're saying it from Swickley. Um, right. And I think it, it speaks to, and I, I believe you say this in your book that either Jesus was aware of his culture, either he was an active, um, intelligent member of his society Or he wasn't. So if he was, then when he speaks about something, he's saying it with like a full-throated understanding of where he is and what that should mean for us.
12: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm not sure that I should should say anything because I, I don't think I can say it better.
4: Okay. All right. So then if we take that as um, a guide for us that as we read, we're going to recognize that the place where Jesus is speaking of matters, the people that he's speaking of matters. Um, when it comes time to actually look at a passage and I, and this is the a background that I come from. If it seems to be talking about economics, I think, well, it can't possibly be that because spiritual things are more important. So it's probably a metaphor.
12: Yeah, like debt forgiveness is probably a metaphor, right? Sure. Right. This, because I need my what,
4: spiritual debts forgiven. And so that's probably what he means.
12: Right, exactly. And um he, he dragged me someplace I didn't want to go on this one, uh, because I'm a free market capitalist conservative. Um and as I've been as I was growing up, you know, going to conferences, um, you know, and in, in and around like campus ministry and Christian thinkers anybody who was talking about debt forgiveness and Jubilee was poor, was pulling towards socialism. Mm-hmm. So I associated that with them and therefore I avoided it, but I thought, okay, let's, fo- let's follow Jesus where Jesus says to go. And, uh, well, Jesus was a rabbi. He was Torah. He was a Torah observant rabbi. The law said that debt was to be forgiven every seven years. They weren't doing it. That's why Jesus is so hard on the lawyers. They created workarounds, tricks, which, by the way, involved the temple. We can get into the details if you want. The temple was kind of used in a tricky way to keep debt going on forever rather than being forgiven after seven years. Really? Um, so, yes, uh, I mean, what, what they would do, it's, it's really interesting. So let's say I lend you money, um, but after, at, you know, in the sixth year, it's like, uh-oh, uh, he hasn't paid it all back yet, and it's over oh, the seventh year is coming up, so I'm not going to get my money. Because the law says that I cannot exact it from my brother, right, Um, you know, in the seventh year. Ah, wait a minute, say the lawyers. It doesn't say that about the temple. It just says that about, you know, brothers, individuals. So you could sell that debt to the temple. Um, you could sell the paper, you know, the bond, the, the yeah. mortgage, whatever. You can sell it to the temple, you know, kind of like we did with you know, mortgages, uh, like our country does with mortgages, with any kind of paper. Um, and the temple can keep collecting. So what happens is the rich people are getting, the, you know, they're, they're um, beguiling people. They're, they're, they're creating a situation where people are indebted, usually involving taxes. So it's not like these are consumer loans for someone to buy a plasma TV. I'm a tax collector. I come to you. I, I, I commit a little fraud you know, to get your taxes higher than they would be. You can't pay it. I say, that's okay. I'll take some now, but you'll pay interest. Then when the seventh year comes around, I have a way of dealing with it. I sell it to the temple. And then they give me an amount of money commensurate with your future payment. And then you're a serf forever. You know, you're a debtor forever. No wonder Jesus was so angry about the temple mm-hmm. uh, and it, because it, was, it, it, it had become the center of exploitation. It was supposed to be the center of liberation and it had become the center of exploitation. So there's this rhetorical war about this and the temple. So it, I, I think Jesus is saying, follow the Torah And let's have seven-year debt forgiveness. I think he's also warning them, if they don't, their society will be destroyed. I think when Jesus said, forgive 70 times 7, this may seem weird to people. It is not weird in the scholarly literature. That's almost certainly a reference to the 490 years uh, that Daniel said uh, would take Israel, Israel, when he gives a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah and the destruction of Jerusalem. 490 years, he says 7 times 70. That happened. Jeremiah said, why was Israel taken into exile? Because they didn't follow these laws. He's, he mentions giving the land a rest, the Shemitah laws. They didn't follow the law. And then Jesus tells a parable about, about someone who's forgiven some money and then they turn around and they try to throttle something for giving a lot of money. And they try to throttle somebody else for a smaller amount of money. And then, you know, you know how that parable goes. You know, the the, the one who forgave, the king who forgave said, OK, I'm going to hand you over to the torturers. You know, and scholars have struggled with this because he's forgiven 10,000 talents. That's an enormous amount of money. And people say, well, that must be an exaggeration. Uh, no, it's not. It's 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 spot on. It's basically um, it's 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 uh, six years of, of, of GDP for Herod Agrippa's province. It's a macroeconomic number. Jesus is talking about them not following. I know this is complicated. So uh, um, so forgive me. It's not. to get this. All right, so Jesus is essentially making a comment here. You're waiting for forgiveness of sins, and you want to get out of exile. Here's the problem. You were sent into exile because you didn't follow these laws. Um, And you're not going to get out of exile until you follow these laws. Jeremiah said that's why you were sent into exile. We are now coming to the end of your seven times seven forgivenesses. And, you're, and you still are not following these laws, and you're going to be destroyed. And what happens to the ruling class of Israel when the 490 years is up, which is one generation from the time Jesus is talking? What happens is, because they had not forgiven the debts, we have a debt re- revolt in 66 AD. Um, the, the revolutionaries come forward, they kill, they murder the high priest and his family, they burn down the public records, but Josephus says they did that to curry favor with the, with the with the great number of debtors, and you set in motion a series of escalating violence, which ends up destroying Jerusalem. And what happens is that the Romans grab the Roman uh, the the Judean elite, and they torture them to see if they have hidden gold. Um, you know they, they were rich. Where's the money? And I'm not going to describe the tortures. They torture them in terrible ways because you must have money somewhere. Um, and so that parable comes true. They didn't listen to Jesus' debt warning when there was time to do something about it. He said, "Women, don't cry for me. Um, don't cry, uh, cry for yourselves and your children. Because if this is what happens when the wood is wet, what happens when it's dry?" Well, 40 years later, the debt crisis has become mm-hmm. worse. 40 more years of oppression and, gra- and dragging the middle class into the into the ground, so there isn't any middle class. And what was left of the middle class becomes a revolutionary class, and they have a debt re- revolt. And before, in a few years, Jerusalem is burned. And its rulers, its ruling class, is being tortured by the Romans. Uh, they wouldn't forgive the debt, so they themselves did not have their debt forgiven.
4: Wow. Okay. So I, there are so many things about that that I didn't know. I'm not. I'm not even sure where to start, Jerry. Um, but I will say that I didn't know that there was a debtors' revolt that had to do with the with the sacking of Jerusalem, or, or was yeah
5: with the sacking of yeah, Jerusalem, it, or preceded it. it. it.
4: It preceded it,
12: um, so it was a debt revolt from below, and the chaos, of, the chaos that's in Jerusalem leads the Romans to come in. So that's in Josephus' Antiquities, I think, chapter 3. The, 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 note, the specifics in the book. I actually have a quote in the book. There's so much stuff out there. Um, there's so much detail, which is why I'm throwing too much detail at you folks. Jesus is telling a story and giving national warnings. Yes, he's giving warnings about our soul. Jesus is a good God. Jesus is a good man, but he's also a good guy. He was trying to save Jerusalem, and he gave them warnings, and many of those warnings were about economics and exploitation. And uh, to a large degree, the series of events that destroyed them were also about economics and economic exploitation.
11: All
12: All right, so it starts with a debt revolt, and Jesus warned them about that.
4: Okay, so if that so if that's the case, if if Jesus was that concerned about oppression and made it that much a point of what of of, try, of encouraging them to try to stop what they were doing so that seventy A.D. didn't come as it actually ended up coming, then what? How do we read that today? I mean, so what does that tell us? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's still concerned about oppression like he was then. Yes.
12: And we ought to be concerned about the same things. Now, whether the Shemitah laws, whether we ought to have a seven year debt um, forgiveness, you know, that's in that area where I think we have to there's prudence, right? That was for Israel. And pretty much throughout the history of the church, the church has, I think, gotten this right, which is we look at those laws. We don't follow them exactly. We don't ignore them and throw them out. That's a heresy. We learn the principles from them. So maybe we can apply some of these principles because we have our own debt problem. I think of students and, 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 um, and school debt, college sure. debt, university debt, but that's not the only problem. We, had a, we have a housing debt problem. We have a growing debt problem. Why do we, th- if God let a debt problem destroy his city, would he not let it destroy us? Um, and why are we so special? Um, so these warnings have some universality to it. So I think we've got to get into Jesus' way of thinking about this. Think more like Galileans. See, I think a lot of what, you know, what's the last, when Jesus ascends into heaven, what do the angels say? Followers of Jesus, why are you looking in the sky? No. Men of Galilee, why are you looking in the sky? Why is Galilee mentioned like almost 40 times in the Gospels? Why is it so important that they have a different accent? When Nicodemus says, you know, we ought to follow procedure on this, the, the ruling class is, are you a Galilean too? We didn't know you were Galileans. There's all this stuff going on where Jesus as a Galilean coming from a problem-solving, not as a hierarchical culture. Um, not not a power grasping power culture. I like to think of the Shire versus you know mm. versus Sauron versus the yeah. power. You know, so there's like and I mean that's not an exact parallel, but Jesus is he grows up in something more like the Shire, and then and as he is walking down towards Jerusalem, the swamps are becoming more fetid, mm-hmm. the smell is worse he's starting to see something he wasn't seeing in Galilee. He's seeing large groups of slaves, you know, working, you know, um, like because there's mass slavery on these giant literal plantations. You don't have these giant plantations in Galilee. Those are south as you're moving southward. And he's getting closer and closer to Mordor. And Mordor is shock of all shock. The center of evil is the very temple itself, which is supposed to be God's home. Mm -hmm.
3: Jerry Boyer, Jerry, so sorry we're out of time, but boy, it's fascinating and this has to be a really exciting time for you. After all the work and research on your brand new work, you get to talk about it with people like us. Jerry Boyer, The Maker versus the Takers, what Jesus really said about social justice and economics. Brand new from Jerry Boyer.
14: If you're in HR, you're probably wearing a lot of hats recruiter, team builder, trainer, mediator, policymaker, and of course, paper pusher. But not anymore.
2: That's 1-800-990-6976. God's Word is power, and we need to be in His Word every day gaining wisdom. God is very patient, but because of our immoral society, we are drowning in debt, have poor public education, and corruption all around us. Our founders would be horrified at what the democratic agenda has become. With the right and left fighting each other, they get none of the work done please go to ProfitToAmerica.com. We're going to lose America. You can't remain silent. That's ProfitToAmerica.com.
1: Join Pittsburgh Theological Seminary online each Wednesday in October at 7.30 p.m. for the combined McClure Lectures and World Mission Initiatives Month of Mission series titled Jesus Christ and the Dividing Wall, Race and God's Mission. You'll hear keynotes from the Rev. Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil, the Reverend Jonathan Wilson-Hartgrove, and Dr. David Kant. The event is free to all who register. Learn more at pts.edu.
3: Well, J.K. Rowling has been in the news as of late, uh, not necessarily because she is one of the best-selling authors in the history of the world, uh, only because of her stance against transgendered people which is a very deep story, and we won't go into that now. However, she is back in the news as an author. J.K. Rowling's new uh, Robert Galbraith thriller, it's called Troubled Blood, sold almost 65,000 copies in just five days last week, amid widespread criticism of the author's decision to include a serial killer who dresses in women's clothing Uh in the novel.
4: Oh, no, I didn't know Uh that.
3: The latest uh, Corman Corman Strike novel, which is a a series by J.K. Rowling, in which Rowling's private detectives investigate the disappearance of a female GP decades earlier, was published last Tuesday. An early review in The Telegraph called one of the novel's murder suspects, Dennis Creed, a transvestite serial killer and ask what critics of Rowling's stance on trans issues will make of the book whose moral seems to be never trust a man in a dress.
5: (sighs) Listen,
4: the only problem J.K. Rowling has with um, transgendered people is when men transition to be women and take over their athletics. That's her big problem.
3: Well, she continues to sell well. she not.
6: Alexa, to play the word Pittsburgh to hear us there we're on your Google Speaker too. plus iHeart, tune in and on radio.com. 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh.
11: With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Authorities are pleading for calm in Louisville, Kentucky. A new round of demonstrations in U.S. cities was set off by outrage over a grand jury's failure to bring homicide charges against the officers who announced themselves. And then entered Brianna Taylor's apartment six months ago. The state attorney general said the investigation showed officers were acting in self defense when they responded to gunfire from Taylor's boyfriend. Public support for protest against police brutality has fallen among Americans, according to a new poll from the Associated Press, NORC Center for Public Affairs Research. Forty four percent disapprove of the protest, while thirty nine percent approve. In June, fifty four percent approved of the protest. Stocks closing slightly higher. The Dow gained 52 points today. The Nasdaq ahead 39 and the S&P 500 up 9. This is SRN News.
8: I know that on those tablets Mr. Moses brought down is the commandment to not covet. But I'll confess, my neighbor and his lawnmower is making it tough. He's got this stand-behind, ride-along space shuttle that covers probably three times more space than my trusty old lawn boy. So, when we have who mows the fastest races, which are completely fabricated in my head, he has some impressive advantages that I just don't have. And at our Faith and Family Mortgage team, we're blessed to have a pretty special advantage of our own, and one that could be a big deal for you. Our team is lucky to be an arm of a bigger company that is a direct lender which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls, an advantage that often allows us to get you a better rate, saving you monthly and lifelong money on a refinance or new home purchase. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25, Nova Park, Rome, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, good animalist, consumer access. corporate animalist, number 1330. Equal housing lender. I license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah.
13: At Fisher Investments, we do things differently. And other money managers don't understand why. Because our way works great for us. But it may not work for your clients. That's why Fisher Investments is a fiduciary obligated to put clients first. It's the highest standard for a financial advisor.
8: So what do you provide? Cookie cutter portfolios like the rest of us?
13: No cookie cutter portfolios here. Fisher Investments tailors portfolios to meet each client's goals and needs.
8: But you do sell investments that earn you high commissions, right?
1: This is Albert Butler with another word about the upcoming election. There is so much at stake. We might not be able to vote as conveniently as we've voted before, but that just puts on Christian citizens the responsibility to work even harder to make sure that we vote and that our vote counts. Too much is at stake to sit this election out. So, whatever it takes, go vote. Tonight
10: we'll see partly cloudy skies, expect a low of 54. It'll be nice tomorrow with clouds and sunshine, tomorrow's high 79. Mainly clear skies tomorrow night with a low of 56. Saturday we'll see clouds and sunshine with a high of 79. Sunday will be warm, temperatures approaching near record highs, increasing cloudiness and a high of 81. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon.
3: Welcome to
0: another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem, Pittsburgh studios.
3: And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, of course, the uh, coronavirus uh, continues to extract all manner of punishment on us around the world. For sure. Uh, This story we saw today about grown kids, adult children, who are living their lives and creating their own way. Suddenly, the rug's been pulled out because of the economic uncertainty. They've lost their jobs, and before you know it, you've moved back in with mom and dad. A story in uh, today's USA Today, Uh, a young guy, I'm sorry, young woman, Lindsay Reynolds, who is working uh, a marketing job at Disney this year. She built a life in Florida. She works super hard, but then, of course, Disney closed up. She uh, had to get a lease broken and move back into her parents' home here in Pennsylvania. About two-thirds of parents say that they are providing financial support to their adult children during the crisis. Mm, I bet. Half of the people surveyed, of this 5,000 people surveyed, are helping their adult children pay for everyday costs such as gas and one in five has had their adult child move back home with them. I mean, it seems as though maybe, in some ways, helpful for the entire family, right? I mean, it's difficult. Listen, as it is. you got
4: to you got to band together in yeah. times like this. I mean, you know, it's not just emotional uh, security um, and comfort. It's the fact that you know you need a roof over your head and you need to be able to share some food, right? you know you
3: can imagine look we talked about this the other day our kids you know are in college we're thinking so when our kids leave the house you know their bedroom i'm going to turn that into right and now all of a sudden you've turned that into and the kids are coming back home and all of a sudden they're sleeping on a sleeping bag in the living room
4: yeah covid has been challenging in every single way there's not a there's not any part of life that has not been impacted by this i mean it's just every time you think oh i've heard every story i've heard i thought of every perspective i've heard it's just you hear another thing and you think oh right
11: yep i hadn't
4: thought of that listen to
3: this so this data we're talking about in this article it echoes the pew research center that a majority get this a majority of 18 to 29 year olds are now living with their parents Surpassing wow. a previous peak set during the Great Depression. Wow. You may have student debt and not much savings, and that's why you're moving home. Yeah. Um, those scenarios are playing out in a really big way.
4: Yeah. So you've currently got both of your, well, over the last, in, since COVID started, let's put it that way, both of your kids have lived at home.
3: Yes, they have. Which has been weird. It's been, it's a bit of a revolving door. I mean, our oldest right. is, is up in Grove City, but you know um, he'll be back before you know it. And I've got a you know my twenty uh, year old who decided not to return to Penn State. So who knows how long he's going to be here?
4: Right. I don't know. It's funny. Like, how old were you when you left your parents' house?
3: Seventeen.
4: Okay, Mike. How old were you when you left your parents' house? Seventeen. Okay.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's early. I went to go live in the funeral home. It wasn't like you know. I was living, you know, I was taken care of in a way. Right. How old were you?
4: Eighteen. Yeah, yeah, but I never. But again, so after you guys left, did you ever move home again?
3: Uh, yeah, there was a brief period uh, where I hurt myself, and I had to go back home for like you know two months or something like that. Okay.
5: No, I moved. But- I moved out and moved in with my sister and my brother-in-law because it was uh, their their house was next to the community college I was going to at the time. Um. And then I went to Valley Forge, and then I uh, got a job in Pittsburgh. Okay. never went back.
4: Yeah, I never did either. Once I left when I was right. 18, I, never, I didn't go back. So. I remember
5: visiting my parents one
3: uh, some weird time. It was like I remember being at my parents' house on Thanksgiving Day, and for some reason, you know, Thanksgiving was at one of my other sisters' houses, but I stopped at my parents' house to take a shower for some reason, and I thought, "This is so weird. I can't believe I'm back here." And you imagine really? how weird it feels. Yeah. Leaving and thinking, I'm done. Thanks. Right. Thanks, mom and dad. And then having to come back. That's got to crush
4: you. Well, that's kind of, but that, that's really kind of a lame perspective. Yeah. Thanks, mom and dad. Well, you know like, I mean, that's a little minimizing the contribution <laughs> of no, the parents. But, I mean, no, but
3: thanks. You know, when you do come, you know, when you do leave, don't you say thanks? I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> thanks for helping me. I mean, holy smokes, you raised me. I got to show some gratitude here.
4: Good. I was just trying to, like, put an exclamation point on that oh, part.
3: Well, yeah, of course. You know, I mean, you can't pay them back ever, right, can you?
4: No, you definitely can't. That's for sure. Um, all right. So what do you think? Let's change. Um, let's change tack and let's talk about – Um, a message that a college professor would have for returning college students this fall. So some students are studying online, some are at home like your son, some are you know, away at school like mine. Um, and our perspective as a parent, is probably different than what a uh, professor would tell them. So let's turn to one that we know. Dr. Joshua Swamidas is next up. He's from uh, Washington University in St. Louis. He'll have a message for any college students listening or maybe parents listening, you can pass it on. We'll talk about that next Thursday edition The so Ride Home.
6: WORD. There are three ways
2: of dealing with the Bible, especially when you come to a passage that you don't quite agree with or understand. The first tactic is to pick and choose what you want to believe. The second is to remain ignorant of what the Bible has to say at all. The third is to dig into the Word and try to understand all of it, whether or not you like what it has to say. Well, if you fall into that last category or would like to, please join us this week on Through the Bible Radio. This evening at 9 p.m. on 101.5 WORD.
3: Each month, the kitchen calendar at our house flips over to a new month. Well, it was March, then April, May, June, July, August, September. And even though for a lot of people this crazy pandemic feels like time has stopped or altered, time stops for no one. So what have you been waiting for? Because time moves on and time is money. And it all feels overwhelming, but interest rates are so low. And how low can they go? Low, low. So now is the time before the calendar flips over to a new month to make a change in your finances. United Faith Mortgage, where faith and family come first. And it's not just some cheeseball slogan, it's real. So have confidence that their direct lender advantage will save you money and stress. UnitedFaithMortgage.com.
8: United Mortgage Court, Melville, New York. MLS number 1330. Department of Banking. Mortgage lender license number 22672.
7: At the Original Mattress Factory, we believe that selecting your new mattress is a decision that's too important to rush. You should only purchase a mattress when you're ready, and you're assured you got the best value. That's why we offer our lowest and best price to everyone, every day. You don't have to wait for a holiday weekend, haggle with a sales associate, or face the pressure of a today-only sale. You can take your time and make a choice that is right for you, knowing that you'll always get our best price. Visit OriginalMattress.com to learn more.
2: At the Original Mattress Factory, we don't just have a low-pressure sales approach, we have a no-pressure sales approach. At OMF, you'll never feel pressure to buy when you're not ready. You can feel free to shop around, test out our mattresses as many times as you need to, and quiz our team
8: on anything about the mattress industry. We're here to help make your mattress buying experience better,
2: not pressure you into a purchase you're not ready to make. Stop by an OMF store today to experience the no-pressure Original Mattress Factory difference for yourself.
10: Hi.
3: You see uh, what's happening across the country, all the different uh, protests, in some instances, riots, and, you know, uh, you look at yourself, at least I do, and you think, well, clearly there's a generational divide because I just don't, a lot of times I just don't get it as much as I want to, as much as I read and study and think, there is a gulf here between me and, you know, 20-somethings. So what is going on on college campuses? Well, Dr. Joshua Swamidas is with us. Dr. Swamidas is a regular guest on our show. He is a scientist, a physician. He's a professor at Washington University in St. Louis. His latest book is called The Genealogical Adam and Eve The Surprising Science of Universal Ancestry. But here today, Dr. Swamidas, to talk to us about a message for college students. Josh, welcome back.
4: Yeah,
16: thanks. it's good to be here
4: yeah Josh. Always good to have you here. um you know, Josh, just this morning, I was thinking about um higher education and thinking that in a lot of ways um in a lot of ways, we treat college now like a vocational school um, mm-hmm. you know, like we're interested in getting the degree out of it, but not in it. in fact, I think Stephen Carter said this um the, the Yale law professor um I think he said. Or maybe he's not a law professor, but he's a Yale professor. Um, anyway, I think it was him who said that the the problem that we're seeing in higher education is students showing up eager for the degree, but not for the learning. What do you say?
16: Well, that certainly does happen. Uh, you know, I was a pre-med student. I'm in a medical doctor now. So for a long, a long time ago, I was a pre-med student. And that's one thing that frustrated our professors in the end, where, you know, you'd have students that are taking this class because it's a requirement to get into medical school, but not because they actually had any intrinsic interest in it. And so that certainly does happen. However, I I do think that um, that's not really what the best of the university is supposed to be. I think the university is supposed to be a place where we're learning how to think more broadly, getting educated in things that may not be directly pragmatically useful, but they're connecting us to like a larger story of uh, of you know what we've been engaged in as a human race for much longer, and and uh, really learning and really opening the door to actually take down, go down other careers and paths, like for example, becoming an intellectual and becoming a professor yourself, that sort of stuff, can happen in a in a university environment that wouldn't happen, for example, in a professional school. Mm-hmm.
3: So, Josh, you had an opportunity recently because you are at the university in St. Louis, at Washington University in St. Louis, to address college students. And I'm reading the, the transcript of what you what you spoke to these children, about, these kids about, and you gave them bad news, which essentially is the world's, the world's fallen. Yeah.
16: So to give some context there, that was for every campus. It's a ministry that was bringing together about 100 different ministries, and there's about 100,000 students that ended up listening to me and several other people for an hour just as a welcome back to campus. Um, It's really worth checking that video out. Um, Lecrae was there, as were others, too. Now, I was thinking a lot about what to share with these students, and I think the key thing that I think um, is just strange about this time is that we're really in a time of disruption, aren't we? This isn't a really normal year to be going back to school or to school right. or whatever. Um, you know, Things that we thought were really you know, calcified or ossified or stuck in a particular way, those, those sorts of things we're seeing now, those things that we just thought would never change, they're not the same this year. So that really opens up a certain amount of fear and uncertainty, but also a certain amount of hope that maybe the, way the world as we find it isn't, the world that we're stuck with. Maybe we could try and find a better way too, right?
13: Hmm.
16: I think that's the hope of disruption.
13: Yeah.
4: Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's what we can all hope for in any type of disruption, right? Is that we, we tend to see a different way forward than we might have seen uh, otherwise. And, and so I, get, I think I get where you're going with this at, when you say to students that this could be the most important year of your education.
16: Yeah, and I think and I think this idea of the fall, which you mentioned too, John, is really critical. I mean, a core belief that we have as Christians is that the world as we find it, and I mean that in a very, um, very total sense. We can mean that in terms of our lives personally, which is how we tend to think about our individualistic American faith. But you can kind of broaden out from that. You know, the city as you find it. uh, You know, your profession as you find it. Your area as you find it. The country, the world as we find it. That world is not the best version that was possible. That it could have been better. It could have been fair, it could have been just, it could have been it could have been a much, much better world. That that that, that that's a fundamental core belief that we have as Christians because we believe there was a historical fall which screwed a lot of stuff up and 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 it lost our opportunity for that better world, right? And I think one way to see that is, that it, is it a depressive sort of thing, that we're lost here. But another way to see it, which I think is the better and the more theologically sound way, is to see that actually as a message of hope. If things could have been different, you know, maybe maybe it can be different. <laughs> maybe, Maybe there is a way where instead of trying to just settle for this, we can actually... You'll be okay with that dissatisfaction and let that dissatisfaction encourage us to help see that better way.
13: Yeah.
3: Okay. All right. I'll buy that. So if you see that dis- dissatisfaction and look for a better way, then that requires some action, right? So here we are right now. Every, things are pretty much shut down still after six plus months, and you're talking to these college kids about a sacrifice. Now, uh, to be honest, you know, when this whole, whole thing unfolded, you know, when COVID came down, I think uh, you know a lot of us were thinking, "What's going to happen?" I mean, how will America respond to this? And now we're so far into it. Uh, to be honest i'm disappointed in how we've responded to this because it feels as though we've been selfish and childish and we just want things our way so the idea of sacrifice for the greater good especially from a younger generation it seems a far far reach josh but maybe you know you've got a better handle on this because you're with younger students every day what do you think
16: well i do think that there is a generational difference and, and i don't want to make too much of it i, I don't think necessarily that students today are somehow more saintly or, or worse than, than other generations. But sure. but I think if you talk about college students or graduate students, they're, they're people who are really, you know, just entered adulthood. Um, they don't actually have a lot of power yet. <laughs> but they are smart enough to be looking and seeing how people who came before them have used power and what that's done. And I think more and more over the last decade, I've seen students just looking at how, uh, you know, the current leaders that they've seen in the church and in society and in politics and all that, um, and you know, in their parents' generation and their grandparents' generation, and just, and just I think coming away with uh, what, which, which I think is actually the correct view. It's not necessarily hatred of these people. <laughs> But just a sense of that, you know, th- we, we can do better than this. This isn't the best possible, and we want something better. And, and I think that they know how important that is. And I think I've seen over and over again that these students are really willing to make sacrifices in their own lives to do things that serve a greater good. Mm-hmm. That's something to be really admired about them. Mm-hmm. And I could only hope that, you know, as they come into power in the coming decades, that they'll continue that sort of attitude with them. Now, I, I think you also mentioned something really early on, John, which I think is important. You said you, you can see a generational gap. I think, um, you know, probably one of the most important verses uh, that I know of for a moment is Proverbs 4, 7, where it says, you know, all you're getting, get understanding. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think, you know, you're talking about action. I think the action that really should be the starting point um, and it probably will be prolonged potentially for months and years is really trying to understand the people and the communities and the groups that we just don't feel like make any sense to us
15: <laughs>
16: you know, to sit down and understand. It. And you can think about all those divides, you know, Republican versus Democrat, that's going to be a big deal. on <laughs> But then, um, or it is now actually, um, if, if <laughs> you know, Uh, If you're following the news, but then also, you know, all the questions about race that we're seeing coming up, all the questions about, uh, you know, international questions, all these sorts of things. uh, There's so often in our current moment, just a group out there that we just don't understand. And I think the first step really should be a really prolonged effort to understand
3: Right. Okay. So, I mean, I appreciate that because certainly we do need some understanding, but Josh, you know, in your address to students, you talk about St. Louis, which I believe in many ways is very similar to Pittsburgh that Pittsburgh is very deeply divided segregated neighborhoods and, you know, people don't wander from the two. It just, it's, it's been this way again, there's that word for generations. So how do you, you know, in this national discourse about race even start to have a conversation when geographically we're so far apart from each other?
16: Well, I think that is a really great question. So I would, I would say a couple of things that I've learned from being in St. Louis. First of all, I wouldn't worry so much about what's going on in social media. And I wouldn't worry so much about what's going on in national politics. Not that those things aren't important. And we can certainly uh, create a mess in those spaces and maybe we can do some good there. But, you know, care about your city, you know, local politics and what's going on locally in terms of dealing with these issues is really important. And if we can find ways forward in our cities to make a difference, uh, that's, that's pretty important, <laughs> you know. Even if it just stays in your city, and I don't think it would, but even if it did, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a better world?
13: Mm-hmm.
16: You know, no. I think uh, when I, when I came to St. Louis, um, I mean, I, I was from California originally, I came here about 10 years ago, and you're kind of walking into a story when you move to a new city. Were you guys, are you guys from Pittsburgh? From, yeah, we're Were you born there? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, so, but even then, it's been funny, I've been talking to St. Louis, well, maybe it's the same for you. Even, uh, you know, people my age in St. Louis, most, it, those of them that actually were born and raised here, they don't know the history of the city, because hmm. they didn't participate in it directly, Right. Um, one thing that's actually happening now, my, uh, my wife is reading this book. Uh, her name's Victoria. She's reading this book uh, that's about St. Louis, going into the history from uh, from the early days when I was first settled to present day. And it's been eye-opening for her to realize, oh, yeah, we're in this divided, segregated city. But that didn't happen by accident. Okay. It was actually set up this way. And then that was passed down from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. And each generation modified it a little bit. And in recent generations, we've actually made it worse here in St. Louis. And then, you know, you kind of inherit that city as a person like you know her who was born and raised here. And you suspect that that's the way it's always been and that's the way it's always going to be. And we get accustomed to it. We get acclimated to it and we forget. Uh, and I mean, by forgetting that, not necessarily that each individual knew it, but as a society, we forget what got us here.
3: Right, right. Okay. And I'll just pick up on that thread, Josh. But what's interesting is, you know, as there's unrest across the country, and I I don't know if you've heard this in St. Louis, but we certainly hear this in Pittsburgh. Well, you know, the people who are, you know, the troublemakers are not from here. You know, they're from outside. <laughs> and you think, well, wait a second. I, I'm not necessarily sure I'm going to buy that. because Plus,
4: they're from somewhere. <laughs> yeah.
16: Yeah, so it depends what you mean by troublemakers, too. So, uh, like, you know, <laughs> there are people who are doing illegal things. Uh, maybe they are from outside, but there's also a lot of people who are protesting peacefully. And, yes. and, you know, and are they troublemakers? Well, the thing about it is some people do see them, even as protesting peacefully, as that peaceful protest is troublemaking.
3: Right. Well, p- protests are supposed to be about s- creating some stru- some trouble, right? You're going to stir the pot. I'm protesting.
4: Yeah, but you got to make sure, as John Lewis said, it's good trouble. And that's where we've come. Um, we've run into a lot of problems here in Pittsburgh because it certainly hasn't, you know, two weeks ago, we didn't have good trouble here. We had right. bad trouble.
3: Well, there's that phrase it's mostly peaceful. Right.
16: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. you know, it's,
3: it's a real challenge. I mean, I think.
16: Like I think the right way, you know, this is something we really struggled with a lot after Michael Brown in St. Louis. So one thing I found out actually is back to go back to the civil rights movement. One thing that actually a lot of people in St. Louis were proud of was that you know black people didn't really protest
15: in St. Louis
16: while everyone else was protesting. Really? Uh, just think about that statement and that sentiment for a while. <laughs> that, that's a little bit of a weird thing to be you know proud of. It's kind of like, well the unrest that's like in Alabama that place. Missouri, we got our black people under control, or black people are protesting. Right, right, right. But regardless, that didn't happen in 2014, and then in 2017 here in St. Louis, I and mean, we ended up being a place where uh, you know a lot of people were protesting. You know, and a lot of those people who were protesting, their parents didn't protest during the '60s, mm-hmm. and 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 so people were really wondering through how to work through this, and. Um, I actually uh, was on a preaching team at a church at the time, and it's a little bit strange for a scientist to be in that place. But I gave a talk that ended up being really important to the students. A lot of them uh, talked to me about it for years afterwards. Actually, where I looked at where we were going through the Book of Joel, and you see Joel just completely mourning and grieving and throwing a protest essentially at the idea of injustice he's seeing in the world and how completely screwed it up it was. Mm. And, you know, I kind of pointed out uh, in the church, you know, what they're doing is just what Joel's doing. They're, they're really just longing for the day of the Lord, when all, all, the, you know, all the entire world, all the paths would be be straight, all the bent things be, won't be crooked anymore. That they're, they're longing for that day of the Lord. They're longing for heaven. They're longing for a just world. And, and I think there's something very true and right about that Mm -hmm. where, you know, I think we have a tendency to look at a city we love. Like, I've come to very much love St. Louis. We have a tendency to look at St. Louis or Pittsburgh. You guys love Pittsburgh, too, right? Yeah, I love it. And say, you know, well, it's not that bad if you judge it on a curve. I can find a lot of cities that are worse than it, right? (laughs) But here's the thing. when When I understand how right and wrong is understood in Scripture, it's not by judging things on a curve, is it? I think what we learn is that, you know, everything—I mean, everyone's sinful, and we're all dependent on the grace of the Lord, you know, to, to be able to approach the kingdom of God. And, you know, as I think about the kingdom of heaven, I've never encountered anyone who imagines, you know, when they get to heaven, that when they get there, it's going to be a segregated city. Do you know anyone who thinks that? I'm mean, going to talk to atheists no. and i talk to non-Christians and Christians. No one imagines. Yeah, when I get there, it's going to be segregated, just like here mm-hmm. is in St. Louis or just how it is in Pittsburgh. That's just, that's what heaven is. No one, no one thinks that, that I know of. I mean, maybe you do. Know, someone, mm-hmm. maybe like a, like, a, like a true Nazi we might find somewhere might think that. But actually, everyone I know, they don't imagine it that way. They just think that, that that's just kind of what the brokenness and fallenness of the world is. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, when you look at what Jesus says, he says, you know, to pray that God's will be done on earth as it's in heaven. That's what, that's what he says, you know, may your kingdom come. And so that prayer is a prayer for integration. It's not a prayer that can, uh, can be sustained alongside segregation. That, that's, I think, the real deep challenge of our faith is that we're trying to live. I mean, we know that ultimately the war is won. We're all gonna you know, find our way to the kingdom of God and after we die. But the prayer of Jesus was that his kingdom would be here on earth, which is a completely radical idea. That means that we're supposed to be praying to not just end the laws that, that put segregation in place when they were queer like they were in the sixties, but also to live, you know, like we're one family. Not not a divided family, but a single family. And that's not something that's up for debate as Christians. It's, it's what it means to follow Jesus. That's kind of what we have to do.
13: Yes.
4: That's S. Joshua Swamidass, scientist, physician, associate professor of laboratory and genomic medicine at Washington University in St. Louis. He's written a terrific book um, called The Genealogical Adam and Eve, The Surprising Science of Universal Ancestry. Josh, thanks for being with us today.
16: Yeah, thanks for having me. And I'll be looking into Pittsburgh, too. I'll be praying
3: for you guys. Hey, thanks so much.
4: Appreciate that.
3: I mean, I love the message. We are called to be together, right? Build God's kingdom here on Earth. We'll take a break and come back. A little Netflix talk.
7: Pumpkins, 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 and more pumpkins pumpkins are what the Springhouse is thinking about this time of year. Hi, it's me, Marcia from the Springhouse, and we love sharing our farm with you during this beautiful time of year. We've got all kinds of fun planned for you and your family to be able to spend the whole day on our farm. Pumpkin patch hay rides, a petting zoo, giant square bale stack and pipes for sliding, a hay maze and a corn maze, pumpkin picking right out of the field, old-time games under a tent up on the hill, and lots more. And when you get hungry, of course we have great eats inside, too, with lots of pumpkin creations. Pumpkin pie, pumpkin cookies, pumpkin bread, pumpkin custard, and even pumpkin black bean chili. Every October Saturday features a family-friendly meal, and October Sundays feature our 4-H hog roast with all the fixings. Plan to spend a memory-making day on the farm at the Springhouse in 84 PA, 724-228-3339, or springhousemarket.com.
9: Okay, some good news during a challenging time for everybody, and this could really help you may know hundreds of thousands of people have already made the switch to Medishare, which is the affordable alternative to health insurance. And with so many people looking at how they pay for healthcare right now, seeing premiums going up or the cost of cobra plans, Medishare has extended their special offer and a lot of people have taken advantage of it. Simply apply by September 30th and they will waive your new member fee. That's a $170 savings. And of course, that's just a start. The typical family saves $500 a month after making the switch. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's health costs, and it's worked beautifully for decades. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to get your additional savings. Here it is. Call 844-45-BIBLE. That's 844-45-BIBLE. 844-45-BIBLE. Has your child
1: swallowed your medicine, your laundry detergent, your nail polish remover? Call the Poison Helpline. Have you inhaled paint thinner, glue, pesticides? Call the Poison Helpline. Have a question about adults? a fume something your kid just drank call the poison helpline poisonings can happen at the home on the job or in a great outdoors call the poison helpline first for fast free advice from medical professionals call 1-800-222-1222 anytime anywhere 1-800-222-1222 save the number save a life brought to you by the u.s department of health and human services Join Pittsburgh Theological Seminary online each Wednesday in October at 7.30 p.m. for the combined McClure Lectures and World Mission Initiatives Month of Mission series titled Jesus Christ and the Dividing Wall, Race and God's Mission. You'll hear keynotes from the Rev. Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil, the Rev. Jonathan Wilson-Hartgrove, and Dr. David Kant. The event is free to all who register. Learn more at pts.edu. We
6: are everywhere. On your radio at 101.5 WORD FM. Pittsburgh at wordfm.com. The Word FM mobile app. iHeart. TuneIn, And at radio.com.
10: Tonight we'll see partly cloudy skies, expect a low of 54. It'll be nice tomorrow with clouds and sunshine, tomorrow's high 79. Mainly clear skies tomorrow night with a low of 56. Saturday we'll see clouds and sunshine with a high of 79. Sunday will be warm, temperatures approaching near record highs, increasing cloudiness and a high of 81. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon.
3: You ever um, get into a show on Netflix or Prime, and you know, you're know you like a season or maybe two seasons in, and then all of a sudden, the show just stops after two
4: seasons? It hacks me off. Has this happened to you? Why do we get into this if it's going to end in two seasons? I feel like if I don't have a solid four, or maybe five, I'm more comfortable with five, I feel like I've wasted my time.
3: Okay. Well, this is weird because Netflix, of course, operates differently than how the networks have operated in the past. So Netflix does not release rating figures in the same way as linear television networks do. Uh, However, they they renew or cancel shows based on something called viewership versus cost of renewal review process, Mm. which determines whether the cost of producing another season of the show is proportional to the number of viewers mm. that the show receives. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, cause the weird thing is Netflix picks up the entire cost of production, right? So um, this is typical for Netflix. Now a, a regular TV show will hire a production company or someone will come to the networks with a production and say, we want to produce this. And then, the networks will say, okay, we're going to produce the pilot, and then we're going to you know, sort of make you carry the cost in the hopes that if the show's a hit, it will find other revenues overseas in reruns and whatnot. Typically, of course, we all know this, what starts on Netflix ends on Netflix. So they're not interested in a wider audience. They are the wider audience mm-hmm. where the network is looking for now and then beyond. So that's why some shows just don't, you know, they can't cut uh. the mustard and they shut it down after two seasons.
4: Yeah. It mm-hmm. Here's another thing that Netflix doesn't do that I and I, I that I appreciate about Amazon Prime is that there are no ratings on, you know, no customer ratings. Right. Does that do you ever notice that? Is that something that figures into what you decide to watch?
3: Oh, you know, you know what I do. Um, if I'm looking for something and I think I want to invest time, I'll go to uh, Rotten Tomatoes.
4: Mm, okay.
3: And then on Rotten Tomatoes, of course, which is, you know. Sure. Sort of
4: Same kind of thing.
3: Outside source. I'm looking at what people have to say about it. Critics and regular people like me.
4: Okay. Well, you know, I, I watch a lot of foreign either films or TV shows because I just kind of like to see how other yeah. cultures imagine things. I always go by ratings. When I decide which one I'm going to watch,
3: what's your rating source?
4: Usually Amazon. Okay. Because it's right up there. Right. So you see whether it was three stars or four stars or five stars. Like I'm not getting into some span. Like last night, I was thinking of getting into the Spanish, (laughs) this Spanish TV show. Yeah. Which does look very interesting. But it was only three and a half stars, and I thought I don't know if I want to wait. I don't think I want to wait through all that for three and a half people. Really?
3: Huh. You might regret that.
4: I might. I might. But but so there's no rating system on Netflix. And so you don't have that. But here's the thing I've noticed is that I tend, if I'm looking for something new, I'll look first on Amazon because of the rating system. I
3: see. Well, then, okay. But then uh, the Amazon thing is people who are not like so inclined. People go, I'm going to give this one star because it has subtitles. Right, what are right. you kidding me? Well, then what are you even doing here? And right. so there's all kind of weird. What do so you think
4: that my Spanish show was unfairly panned?
3: It might have been, mm-hmm. or you. Too bad you don't have people like who are like minded. You know, I like this, so they like this, so I'm going to follow well, these guys. Okay, so that's I, what reviewers see. do.
5: Okay,
4: this is my favorite. You know how on um, on Amazon and Netflix you have you know their different strips, right? Yes. So recently watched or whatever. Right, right, right. My right. favorite one is we think you'll like.
11: Right. Okay.
4: Wait, listen, I get such a kick out of what they think I'm going to like. Well, the
3: years ago, remember that contest? Remember this whole contest that Netflix did? No. Netflix, like, um, they, I'm not sure how they did this, but they they sent it out to, you know, the scientific community and they gave a first place prize. I think it was like $100,000 for someone to figure out the algorithms of viewing habits and what people might like. Now really? I know
4: yes. It so, was that's a big they, deal. so that's how they that's how they determine that strip for me.
3: Yep. Yeah. Which I'm always surprised by I'm kinda of going, really? You don't know me like ninety-eight percent. I'm thinking, I'm not gonna watch that. I'm gonna
4: keep okay, on moving right wait, by. Whoa, 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 So you don't think yours are accurate? No, they aren't. <gasps> Mine are so accurate. Are they? Mine are creepily accurate. I feel every that's time the algorithm. I, like last night before uh my husband went to bed, I was scrolling through the we think you might like. And he said, I feel like these people know you. Really? Because, yeah, it's like real, it's very accurate.
3: No, I'll I'll intentionally go way down the line to it's like 34% and go, I'm going to watch this because I'm going to show Netflix that they don't know me. Just to sort of skew things.
4: But see, now for all of your, like, my finger in your eye thing, as far as you don't know me. You know, with yeah. Netflix and yeah, Amazon, yeah. I can't believe you succumb. You have succumbed to Alexa. Well, I got no problem with. Look, Mike, how can he I've not thought have about a problem this with a lot. Alexa? He's like all. He's like all like, don't tread on me, and all these other areas. And then when God. it comes to Alexa, he's like, I'm handing away my digital profile
3: again. Everybody knows everything about you no, already, so it, so it really doesn't matter. Well, so you
4: might as well just have someone turn on your, you know, Johnny Lee Hooker song. Whatever. So what? It's it's over. Like the, it's too hard for you to to open a CD and put it in the thing.
3: Nope. Hey, yeah, Alexa, play Best of Johnny Cash, and we're off to the races. You and could I feel you good about could
4: it. actually just do it yourself and not give away that digital information to the gigantic yeah. corporation.
3: Alexa already knows, and I'm just lazy.
4: anyway we're going to step aside when we come back how to navigate the generational divide in politics if you've Mm -mm. got parents that you think are way behind the times or if you've got kids that are driving you nuts here's some great advice coming up next 101.5 word
1: okay
13: everybody in the car
1: where
8: are we going daddy
1: on an adventure
8: yeah
9: adventures in odyssey it's
2: not just a kid's show it's a show the whole family can enjoy listen on this station adventures in odyssey tonight at 8 on 101.5 word fm w o r d
14: tonight the u.n is warning that the pandemic is putting the world at risk of widespread famines of biblical proportions
0: even as we here in the u.s continue to struggle with the coronavirus In poor countries like Haiti and Guatemala, COVID-19 is also creating a food crisis, which is leading to starvation. Ángela Loma is with Food for the Poor.
13: Almost every single one of our partners said that food is the greatest need right now.
0: But the church is rising to meet this need.
3: The thought of any child going without food just breaks my heart.
15: You know, God has blessed us all beyond what we can imagine. We've got to do what we can to help, especially kids that don't have anything to eat.
0: Join 101.5, Word FM, and Food for the Poor in rescuing children. Just $37 provides six months of life-saving food for one child. How many children can you save? From your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say the keyword, hope. Dial pound 250 from your cell and say, hope. Or click the red emergency food banner at wordfm.com.
11: If we ever forget that we're one
3: nation under God then we will be a nation gone under.
8: From the producers of God's Not Dead. This is not time for spiritual awakening. I need to be the man that God made me to be. A movie so relevant for our times. One Nation Under God. Who do you think you are?
7: I'm just expressing my freedom of speech. Not
8: around here, buddy. One Nation Under God. Winner of 35 film festivals. We can cut God out of the Pledge of Allegiance, but God will always be here. Starring Kevin Sorby Antonio Sabato Jr., and football great Herschel Walker. Imagine what we could do united for one nation.
7: Let's make America great
8: again. One nation under God. Go to salemnow.com to purchase and use promo code MOVIE for 20% off. Salemnow.com promo code MOVIE.
5: This is time that matters. A window of time to help protect the ones you love. Your preteen benefits from staying up to date with their well visits. This is your window of protection. Schedule their well visit now. Brought to you by Merck. Every two minutes,
6: a woman in the U.S. is diagnosed with breast cancer. And in that moment in time, her life changes forever. We're fighting alongside patients because we know one moment can change a lifetime.
3: I'm sure it's as old as the hills, right? Now, you're a kid, you've got your way of doing things, and all of a sudden you become an adult, and then you have kids of your own, and you look at your kids and you think, I don't understand what's going on with it. When we were kids, we did it this way, and now everything's topsy-turvy. There's a generational divide, and I think it's in our homes. Clearly, it's in our society. So how do we find our way through the generational divide? Brett McCracken is with us. Brett is the senior editor at the Gospel Coalition, author of Uncomfortable, The Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community, also Gray Matters, Navigating the Space Between Legalism and Liberty, and Hipster Christianity When Church and Cool Collide. Brett, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me.
4: So, Brett, you've had uncomfortable conversations at the Thanksgiving table as well.
15: <laughs> yes, I have. hmm yeah.
4: Yeah, so this is what it is to be a uh, family at this time when political energies are exercised to the point of just absurdity, right? And and what used to be just a little opinion about something has turned into something I'm going to like stake my life on. I mean, I'm not sure how we got to the point where we've made politics so unbelievably important, but I think it has driven a wedge between people of different generations.
15: Yeah, you know, I think it's driven a wedge between a lot of different people on in across a lot oh, of yeah. different, yeah, sure. the, the generational thing is just one, you know, I, but it, you're right. It is a symptom of a bigger um, just kind of increase of um, polarization and intensified emotion. It seems uh, with regard to politics and, in all things, political discussion. So yeah, everything just feels burdened by even more um, kind of higher stakes and, more emotion and people are more emotionally invested. I think in their um, their respective positions. So any any opposition or any disagreement feels almost like a personal um, assault. Or um, yeah, you know, people just get very emotional. So Do so the, yeah, yeah, I I've seen it in families. I've seen it in churches. I've I've seen it in you know. Just all sorts of groups this this year, and and of course this year twenty twenty is not helping matters because everyone is already I think stressed and and just has a little bit of cabin fever from COVID and every everything is caused to get angry it seems so we're easily triggered and it's the perfect storm with an election to to kind of be at each other's throats.
3: Okay, so the piece you wrote, How to Navigate the Generational Divide in Politics, it's currently online at the Gospel Coalition website. So, Brett, I'm reading this, and I'm nodding my head as I'm reading. I'm thinking, this is my life. This is our family. So, you know, you talk Mm -hmm. about that you see um, many more young conservatives, evangelicals, they express disappointment at the political behavior of their conservative parents. So my 20-year-old, uh, at the beginning of COVID, he, he left, and he went to go live with my sister and her husband in Virginia. And he came back five months later, and I'm like, we're talking about, okay, so what's the next step? He's not going to go to college this semester, so what are you going to do? How's this going to work? He said, he said to me over dinner, well, I have applied for a, a job, and I was like, great. He said, yeah, I'm thinking of working for the ACLU. I mean, wow. I could, I could yeah. not believe I was like what? It mean, took every fiber of me to like you know not leap across the table. Mm-hmm. And you know, in in retrospect, I'm thinking I've failed. I'm just a horrible father. I've somehow I've just kind of gone <laughs> off the rails. But then once I calmed down, I thought, wait a second, the kid's 20 years old. He's online. Mm -hmm. You know, he's doing his own thing. There's all sorts of weird stuff out there. Of course, there's propaganda and friends and whatnot. It's not about me and me being a poor father. It's more about Mm -hmm. him and him finding his own way.
15: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think you're not alone. And it's a very common dynamic in, in families these days. And, um, it's not new in history either. One of the things I talk about in the article is that this kind of generational swing, you know, everyone's always reacting, I think, against their parents to some extent. And so you, you saw this in the, in the 60s with the children of the baby boomers or the baby boomers, you know, as they were growing up, they were rebelling against their, their parents' politics. And you had that kind of the hippie counterculture movement. Um, and I think what we're seeing today is just a, it, it's always a cycle, and um, so we shouldn't see it as anything abnormal. But it's still, you know, on the on the level of individual families and relationships, it's, it's a hard thing, and it's trying to endure um, and to figure out how to navigate. So I just felt like compelled to write an article to help um, Christian families particularly to um, find a healthy way to to navigate those divides because it's inevitable that we're going to have differences of opinion um, on politics and it's okay it doesn't have to be the end of the world it doesn't have to be right. the end of a relationship right.
13: Exactly Right, so, right.
4: So, well, one of the things though, John and I are like walking all over each other verbally because he's broadcasting from his spare room. And so am I, Hello. it doesn't always go smoothly, Brett. Um, but one of the things that I read in your article that I thought, yeah, this is so absolutely true is, um, for people who are, I would say, let's say, let's say 50 and older, um, one of the criticisms that the ch- that their children have is that they have linked politics too closely to their Christianity. so don't be surprised yeah. when your kids link Christianity politically link them too closely together except they pick different politics than you
15: right yeah that was that was kind of a warning I was giving the older generation um, because I've, I'm seeing this happen you know i'm I'm seeing the the precedent that's being set. By the older generation, in terms of um, a little too much of a fusion between their faith and their political preference, um, you know, the the younger generation is watching that and they're seeing that. Okay, well, that's how they're doing it. So I'm I'm also gonna um, kind of merge my identity um, religiously with a political identity, but in many cases, it's a it's a different <laughs> political identity, and it's sometimes the opposite direction um, as their parents. And so I think uh, I just personally feel like we need to be all be a little bit more hesitant to blend and kind of fuse together our, our faith and our um, politics. Not that they shouldn't be in conversation, but um, yeah, I, I just think that we can get into trouble when we, um, when we start to align our politics so closely with our faith that we feel like you know, the only Christian thing to do is to vote this way, or, you know, the only option for Christians is to be aligned with this party. And, you know, we're hearing major Christian leaders even saying things like that, um, uh, which is disturbing to the younger generation to hear a prominent Christian leader, you know, recently say, I I can't see how any Christian could possibly not vote for Trump. Um, That's, you know, say what you will about Trump, and, and I'm not saying... We shouldn't vote for Trump, but just that idea that there's no, no other viable option right. for a person of faith. Right. There's no other is, way to think is, about it. There's no other way to think about it. That's the problem that I think younger right. Christians especially, um, you know, take issue with.
3: We're talking with Brett McCracken from the Gospel Coalition. So, Brett, the the thing that I took away, the big takeaway for me was, you know, um, as much as our children, are, of course, are not us, that at the end of the day, there are many times that I'm still sitting with my children and I'm able to pray with them. And so I count that a huge blessing. We may not agree, of course, we're not checking our boxes. I don't want to check all those boxes, and neither do they. But we're able to pray together to the Lord of the universe, to the Lord of the universe, and I count that a major blessing in my life.
15: Absolutely. And and that's my hope and prayer for Christians everywhere, you know, churches everywhere, that we just all remember that at the end of the day, whatever happens on election day in November, um, you know, the the mission carries on and our our identity in Christ as God's people continues. And we ultimately have a bigger mission that we need to get back to the task of.
4: Sorry, Brett, got to cut you off for time reasons. Brett McCracken, senior editor at the Gospel Coalition, author of Uncomfortable, the Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community. Be right back.
9: Okay, some good news during a challenging time for everybody, and this could really help. You may know hundreds of thousands of people have already made the switch to MetaShare, which is the affordable alternative to health insurance. And with so many people looking at how they pay for healthcare right now, seeing premiums going up or the cost of COBRA plans, MediShare has extended their special offer, and a lot of people have taken advantage of it. Simply apply by September 30th, and they will waive your new member fee. That's $170 savings. And, of course, that's just a start. The typical family saves $500 a month after making the switch. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's healthcare costs, and it's worked beautifully for decades. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to get your additional savings. Here it is: call eight four four fifty seven BIBLE. That's eight four four fifty seven BIBLE. Eight four four fifty seven. Bible.
15: Hi, this is Joe Belanti with JD Waterproofing at 1-800-Berry-Dry. In honor of our 81 years serving the tri-state area, we are offering great savings for all our new and past customers. Call 1-800-Berry-Dry. That's 1-800-Berry-Dry to get your savings on basement waterproofing, bowing or cracking walls, and or footer stabilization projects. Or visit us at jdwaterproofing.com. j
1: J&D Waterproofing, family owned and operated since 1939. Seasons of change and uncertainty can be difficult. difficult. Difficult, even scary, but they don't have to control or define you. The counselors of the Grace Wellness Center would consider it a privilege to come alongside and help you replace the fear and frustration with freedom and peace. While office visits are still available throughout the area, Grace Wellness Center also offers online and phone appointments to make counseling convenient and available on your terms, accepting all major insurances at thegracewellnesscenter.com.
8: First Presbyterian Church is a beacon of light and love to this community.
5: The message that I hear sustains me for the whole week. I love this church because of the diversity and the music and the people.
3: The incredible beauty of the space. A warm, welcoming congregation.
5: The people are
6: amazing and truly love one another and Christ and our pastors preaches the gospel i want
5: everybody to pittsburgh to come and experience
1: first presbyterian church of pittsburgh in the heart of the city with the city in its heart
2: welcome back to customize and save with liberty mutual insurance company the game show where you only pay for what you need and we're out of time only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com.
9: liberty liberty liberty
8: liberty
3: Well, of course, you know, COVID ruins everything. And mm-hmm. so uh, many people's family vacations were, of course, canceled this summer. And now uh, school starts in some weird way. For a lot of kids, of course, it's video school. So families have done something. Uh, I'm reading a piece in the New York Times when the classroom comes with room service and poolside cabanas. Ah, wouldn't that be nice? So yes. Show let's, me let's the way. About families of means who have left the city and instead have, you know, picked up. And gone to Miami. Where? What? Yeah, and there, of course, Zoom is in place, and now hotels are actually providing schools teachers who are certified, who your school district will work with to ensure that your child gets the what? quality education they need. Wait,
4: so I'm gonna, so my husband and I are gonna go on vacation, and we're gonna take our kids with us, and some some teacher from the hotel is gonna help them through their classes,
3: and or video zoom at the hotel as well what while you sit out by the cabana and have yourself a little refreshment i vote yes wouldn't that be fabulous huh you know it's always those people of means huh?
4: those people of means <laughs>
3: yeah. get on
4: my last nerve
3: <laughs> life is good right even though we're upside we're down means. god's on the throne he loves us still pass it along we'll see you tomorrow god willing
13: the ride home with john and kathy A production of Salem Media Group.